preach along this line before. But this is what the Lord put on our heart today to share with you and to bring it to you. But I want to begin with that relationship in Exodus chapter 3. Moses, and you know, we could be here for a long while, so I'm going to cut it down and you just got to go back and read to fill in the blanks, all right? But Moses had had to flee Egypt and he went into the land of Midian and he joined himself to a fellow named Jethro, married one of his daughters, and he uh, became a shepherd. Now here was a man that was destined to be king, the leader, the deliverer, and he was now out in the deserts and the mountains being a shepherd. And one day as he was out there, he was on the mountain, and he looked, and there was a bush on fire. But it wasn't being burned up. It was just on fire. So God called him and told him to come, and then when he got close to it, God said, pull your shoes off because this is holy ground. And he told Moses this. He said, I want you to go to Egypt and lead my people out. He said, I've heard their cry. I'm going to deliver them. I'm going to bring them out of there, and I want you to be the one to go and do that. And the very first thing Moses began to say, I, I can't do that. I'm not able to do that. And God, but let me tell you something, folks. If God puts something in your heart to do, He believes you're able to do it. If He didn't know that you were able to do it through His strength and power, He would never put it there to happen. I know there's been times that things have come and I said, well, God, I can't do that. And God said, I can. I remember when the Lord called me to preach. I said to him, God, I can't do that. I can't even look at people and, and, and talk, much less sing. I was in a little singing group. I said, I can't even look at people and sing. I sing to the corner. I sing out the window. sing out the door. I can't look at people. And God said, just trust me, son. God knew what I could do. He knew what was in me. Why? Because He put it in there. God has put in you what you need to be able to do to live this Christian life and to be successful in it. So, here we come to this. Moses said, God, who am I going to tell them sent me? Who am I going to say sent me down here? Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh that I should bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? Who shall I tell them? But then verse 12, But God said, I will certainly be with you, and this shall be a sign to you that I have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. Then Moses said to God, Indeed, when I come to the children of Israel and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they say, What is his name? What shall I say to them? And God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, Thus shall you say to the children of Israel, I am has sent me to you. Now when God told him, I am, he was saying everything that has ever been, that is now, or ever will be, I'm responsible for. I am present tense. I'm not the God that was. I'm not the God that's going to be. I'm the God that's now. Now, folks, that's the God I serve. He was in my past. Thank God I came to know Him some years ago. He was in my past, and He's in my future because He said, I'll never leave you or forsake you. I'm with you always to the end of the world. But I'm telling you something, folks. He is now 
God is now, and because He's now, I can face any compromise, and I can walk through any temptation that Satan would throw at me, and I can win that thing because my God is a God of now, right now, not going to be, not used to be, but now. Amen? I hope you serve that God too, and I know you do. Well, he said, I I don't know. What sign can I give them? Isn't it something how we're always wanting a sign? God, just give me a sign. What was the guy, that comedian, say, here's your sign? I've asked for signs before and and got some wrong information. (laughs) God said, what's that in your hand, Moses? He said, it's a staff. And he said, well, throw it down. And Moses threw it down and it became a serpent. And God said, now pick it up again. You know, most of us would have been, not me, not me. Give me a hole so I can cut his head off. Moses reached down and picked it up and it became a staff again. And Moses said, well, well, God said, that's not all. He said, put your hand in your side. He did, and when he pulled it out, it was withered. He said, now put it back in. He did, and when he pulled it out, it was whole. Hey, that's enough to let me know that God's doing something, right? So he said, when you come to the children of Israel, show them these things. When you come to Pharaoh, show him these things. So Moses went to Egypt. A lot of story involved in that. Moses went to Egypt, and he went to Pharaoh, and he said to Pharaoh, My God, whom I serve, I am that I am, has sent me to tell you, to let his people go that they may go into the wilderness to worship him and to serve him. And Pharaoh said, we're not going to do that. So Moses took the rod, or Aaron's rod, and threw it down, and it became a serpent. And when he did, Pharaoh's magicians throwed their rods down, and they became serpents. And so I don't, I don't understand this. But let me tell you something. The good end of that story is is that Aaron's rod that became a serpent swallowed up their rods that became serpents. God's not going to be outdone, folks. We need to realize He's not going to be outdone in our life. All He's wanting us to do is to begin to believe Him and follow Him and act the way that He's called us to act, and that is an uncompromising kind of life. Well, Pharaoh said, no, they're not going. So God said to Moses, said, look, Pharaoh always comes down to the Nile River to take a bath. He likes to get out in the river and play around. He said, I want you and Aaron to stand there tomorrow. And when he comes, tell him to let my people go. And whenever he refuses, and he will, he said, Aaron, you're to raise your rod up over all the waters and the Nile River and all the waters, the streams, the springs, the brooks, the wells, everything's going to turn to blood. He's like, man, that's, that's tough. Well, it did. He did that. But get a hold of this. Here comes Pharaoh's magicians. And they did the same thing. Now, the water is double bloody. I mean, there's no water anywhere in the land that don't have blood in it. Pharaoh said, no, they're not leaving. They're not leaving. Then God said, I want you to, to hold your rod up over the land. And frogs are going to come up on the land. I mean, frogs from everywhere, out of the river, out of the stream, out of the marshes. 
everywhere. Frogs are going to come up in it, and they're going to fill up the houses. They're going to fill up, and if you read it, it even filled up their flower bowls where they mixed their flour, made their biscuits and bread. Frogs everywhere put on their shoes. There's a frog in there. Go to bed. Frogs in the bed. Frogs on the floor. Frogs everywhere. He called for Moses and said, look, you got to get rid of these frogs. Can you do anything? Because, see, his magicians had called up frogs, too. They'd call up frogs. They couldn't get rid of them. So Moses, I, I like this. Moses came in and he said, oh, said, I'd be honored to do this. Glory over me. I'd be honored to do this. And so he said to Pharaoh in Exodus chapter 8, Verses 9 and 10, I don't think I got this on there, but let me tell you this. He came in and said, we'll do this. When do you want me to do it? I don't know what time of day Moses came in to Pharaoh, but listen to Pharaoh's answer. Tomorrow, I thought, one more night with the frogs. Isn't that how ignorant that some people can be? I don't know. Excuse me, I about said something I shouldn't. I about said that. He could have been president of the United States. <laughs> How did I get off on that? Tomorrow. Can you get a hold of that? I mean, here's all of this stuff going on. And your problem, if the Lord showed up to you today and said, well, when do you want me to do something about this? Can you just picture yourself saying, tomorrow? Now, Lord, now, this, right now, this minute, I'm, I'm done with this. I'm going, and, and, but Pharaoh said, tomorrow. So many times we want to put off. We want to put off. Well, Pharaoh said, no, they're not going. So then, God told Moses, said, go out, have Aaron hold up his rod, and all the dust of the land is going to become lice. There's going to be lice on the people. I mean, lice on their head, lice everywhere, lice on the cattle, lice on the animals. All kind of lice is going to be on these, and and it's going to be ugly. And Pharaoh's magicians couldn't bring the lice up, so they come to Pharaoh and said, "Look, it's the finger of God. We need to listen to this man." So Pharaoh called Moses. And here's the first compromise. In Exodus chapter 8 and verse 25, Then Pharaoh called for Moses and Aaron and said, Well, let me back up. The swarm of flies come across our next. You got lice and you got flies. You got all this stuff going on. He called for Moses and said, can you do something? And Moses said, yeah, but you're going to have to let us go. And this is what he said. Then Pharaoh called for Moses and Aaron and said, Go sacrifice to your God in the land. And Moses said, It's not right to do so, for we would be sacrificing the abomination of the Egyptians to the Lord our God. If we sacrifice the abomination of the Egyptians before their eyes, then they will, will they not stone us? Now listen. Here's what Satan says. Now, about this religious thing. About this Christian thing. You go ahead and be one, but just just take it easy. Just, you know, because it's, it's a different day than it used to be. And nowadays you can be a Christian and still act like you used to. Talk like you used to. 
Go to the places you used to go, watch the stuff you used to do. You, you can still be a Christian and do that. Now, folks, I'm going to tell you, that don't work. And there's a lot of people that's being deceived today to think that they can be just anyway and it be okay with God that they can still be a Christian and be that way. And they want to throw up this thing, well, that nobody's perfect, and you're right. We're not perfect in us, but we are in Him. We're complete in Him. That's what the Word of God tells us in the book of Ephesians, that we are complete in Him. That word complete there is the same Greek word as we get the word perfect from. So we're complete. And I'm not saying that that I never sin, but in Him, folks, there's a remedy for every problem and thing that I have. And it's time that a lot of us Christians came out of the closet and let the world know that we're Christians. Satan would love to keep us down and that not happen. But Satan will. You know, you better watch. You know, folks are going to make fun of you. You better watch how this thing's going. Because, see, that's the next compromise he gives you. Pharaoh, he said, you know, Moses said, we'll go three days' journey into the wilderness and worship our God there. And then verse 28 says, So Pharaoh said, I will let you go, but that you may sacrifice to the Lord your God in the wilderness. Only you shall not go very far away. In other words, here's the devil. No, I've got to do something about this. I want to live a Christian life. So Satan says, well, look, don't get radical about this thing. Don't, you know, don't get to where you're one of those radical Christians that, you know, you wear T-shirts and got signs in your yard and you got a bumper sticker and you go to church. and Don't, don't do that. You, you get too much involved and, and you lose your friends. Folks won't have much to do with you anymore because you, you're getting committed now and you better watch that because you get committed, they'll expect something out of you. Am I preaching to anybody today? Now think about it. Think about it. This is what he does. Because, you know, if we can, if he can convince us that it's all right for us to act like a Christian in public, but still hold on to things in our life that we know that's not right, and we do that, then he's got us right where he wants us. We've compromised ourselves into his plan. Because if he can keep the church watered down, if he can keep the church cool, lukewarm, then he's got the church right where he wants it. I mean, he, he, he's like this. Well, yeah, it's okay, you, you know, going to church. But you better watch it because if you go to church, be sure you don't clap your hands and praise and worship because somebody think you're radical if you do that. And they definitely don't want to raise your hand. Because folks will think you're a holy roller if you start raising your hands in church. And definitely you don't want to witness to anybody about who Jesus is. Just be a living testimony. Well, we got to be a living testimony, folks. But sometimes there's words that's got to go along with that. Because somebody, if we're living the kind of life we ought to, somebody's going to come up and say, I don't know what you got, but I want some of it. And if we don't watch it, the only thing we'll be able to say, well, 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 come on, we'll go talk to the pastor. Why? Because we don't have nothing in to tell us why. Because we've listened to this junk of Satan. And, and look, if you read the Bible every day, people are going to think you're a fanatic. 
If you pray, you definitely don't want to pray when you go into a restaurant to eat. No, 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 no. Because folks will look at you. Hey, I want people to see Jesus in what I do, don't you? That's what we need to be thinking about. I want people to see that Jesus is my Lord and Savior. I want to be able to, whenever I go, that folks can say, hey, there's something different right here. I, I, I want to be like, I remember reading a story about Smith Wigglesworth one time. I don't know if any of you, how many of you have ever heard of Smith Wigglesworth. Smith Wigglesworth was called the 20th century apostle. I mean, this guy, it's recorded that he raised some 17 people, at least 17 people from the dead. Now, I'm not talking about something that happened in Bible days. I'm talking about something that happened in recent history. And not only that, but he would preach and, and people would get saved and people would get healed. He was on a train one time on a tour. And, and the people in this town heard that he was on the train coming, and they began to gather everybody around. I, I picture it sort of like whenever they'd hear Jesus was coming, they'd bring all the people they could, and they brought all the people that were sick out there. And when the train stopped, the officials told him this, you better not lay your hands on anybody and pray for them, because if we do, we're going to get you for practicing medicine without a license. He said, okay, I won't, won't touch nobody. He got up on the caboose, on the top of it, hundreds of people around him. He preached the gospel to them, and he said this then, if you're sick or hurt, put your hand where you're sick or hurting, and I'm going to pray for you. So all those people touched themselves in different places, and he prayed, and hundreds of people got healed. They couldn't do nothing to him because he never put a hand on nobody. But one day he was on a train, and he was sitting in the dining car. And there were two Catholic priests on the train. And I'm not putting nobody down except this is a story, okay? Two Catholic priests on the train. And Wigglesworth is just sitting here, minding his own business, letting the love of God and the glory of God radiate out from him. And the two priests started out. And when they got to his table, one of them fell down on his knees and said, My God, man, you convict me of my sins. Think about that. Wouldn't it be something, you're just so full of Jesus because you're not ashamed of what's going on in your life and you're not living a compromising life that you go to Walmart and somebody walk up to you and say, hey, look, just your presence convicts me of my sins. Would you pray for me? You say, I don't think that'll ever happen. It probably won't with you because you don't think it will. But we need to go expecting people to look. You say, ah, preacher, you don't have to do all that stuff to be a Christian. How much do you love Jesus? I'll get to that in a minute. Well, Pharaoh said you can't go. Then the next plague that came on them was the plague on the livestock. They diseased. Cows died. Horses died. Mules died. Camels died. All over the land of Egypt, animals were dying of all kinds. Then the next plague, the boils on the people. Skin rashes. Skin boils. Oozing sores was on the people all over. And, and, and this was going on. Then the uh, seventh plague came as hell and thunder and lightning like they'd never seen before. I mean, it scared them. All this lightning and thunder and the hail so big that, that people was dying because they were being hit by the hail. And then the eighth plague came. See, this hailstorm, it, it destroyed a lot of the vegetation. 
And then the next plague was all of these locusts that came and finished the job off. Then the third compromise took place. In chapter 10, verse 8, So Moses and Abram were brought again to, to Pharaoh, and he said to them, Go serve the Lord your God, or who are the ones that are going? And Moses said, We will go with our young and our old, with our sons, our daughters, with our flocks and our herds we'll go, for we must hold a feast to the Lord. Then he said to them, The Lord has better be with you when I let you and your little ones go. Beware that evil is ahead of you. Not so. Go now, you who are men, and serve the Lord, for that is what you desire. And they were driven out from, from Pharaoh's presence. Third compromise is this. Okay, you go ahead. You be all out if you want to, but don't drag your family into this. One of the worst mistakes that people have made, and I've heard it time and time again, well, I just want my child to be able to make up their own mind when they get old enough about this religious thing. I'm going to tell you something. I did not want my children to make up their own mind. I wanted them to know the love of God and the grace of God and the Word of God. And folks, I'm here to tell you today that all three of them are in church serving the Lord and, and living a Christian life. Why? Because we were determined that we were what we were involved in and how we were serving God. God, we were going to take our children with us. And they'll tell you they had drug problems. <laughs> we drug them to church. <laughs> I grew up being done that too. I did. First thing I remember, my daddy, or my daddy got saved and called to preach when I was two years old. The first thing I remember, my daddy was preaching. And, and I remember riding in those old automobiles for miles on Sunday morning without air conditioning, with the windows down, and six kids packed in that car with him and Mama and go to church and preach. And, and, and that's all I knew was that, was drag, go to church. But folks, as I look back on it now, the only thing I wish that was different is that I paid attention to it back then instead of waiting some years to do that. Go ahead, but don't force this on your family. Let me tell you something, mothers and daddies. One of the greatest things you can do for your children is to force salvation on them. And now what I mean by that, I, I'm not talking about setting them down and saying, if you don't get saved, I'm going to whip you. No, don't do that. But I'm talking about forcing on them this way, by living it in front of them, talking about it. Living in the Word of God, showing them the Word of God, helping them understand the Word of God, helping them understand God's plan for life and God's plan for their life. We're commanded all the way through the Bible to teach our children. In Deuteronomy chapter 6, one of my favorite verses. In Deuteronomy 6, Verse 4 said this, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. And these words which I command you today shall be in your heart. Listen. And you shall teach them diligently to your children, and shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, and when you rise up. And you shall bind them as signs on your hand, and they shall be as frontless between your eyes. And you shall write them on the doorpost of your house and on your gates. 
Folks, let me tell you something. You and I as parents have an awesome responsibility, and that is to teach our children the Word of God, not cartoon Nickelodeon network. You need to watch. You need to be cautious about what your children are watching in front of that one-eyed monster that you have playing in the living room or their iPads or whatever it is, and, and understand that these shows, for the biggest extent, are designed to teach against what I'm teaching you this morning. They're not going to help your children grow spiritually. I mean, what's SpongeBob going to do for your child? whenever they're 16, 17 years old, and they're faced with a temptation for drugs. That's what I thought. Absolutely nothing. But that's what we want to feed them. We let, we let that babysit them. We let that take care of them. Now, is there anything wrong with watching cartoons? I don't know about the cartoons nowadays. I don't watch them. I hear about them. I read about them. But, but now, you know, I, I, I know that... Uh, I learned from cartoon that it's okay to eat spinach. I did. And uh, I learned from another cartoon it's okay to hunt wabbits. Mighty Mouse is on the way. Always a hero. And they didn't talk ugly. And if it was a... <laughs> and if it was a boy character, he stayed a boy character. Teach your children the Word of God. It's the greatest thing you can do for them. Have them in church. Bring them to church. Help them. And not only that, but then live the Christian life in front of them that backs up what you're trying to teach them. I know I've probably shared this with you before, but I know a young man today that will not go to church. And the reason is his daddy was a preacher. And his daddy was a businessman. And I asked him one day, I said, why don't you go to church? He said, I'm going to tell you why. He said, because my daddy would go to church on Sunday and preach one thing and go to his place of business on Monday and live another way. He said, I ain't got time for it. Let me tell you something, folks. Not only teach your children through the Word, but teach them by your actions by your deeds and by your words about other things and other people. Help them know what's most important in your life. Satan's saying, oh, you know, just let them mix in with the crowd. I don't want my children mixed in with the crowd because sometimes a crowd ain't what it needs to be. I, mean, I believe we've got a lot of good young people. I really believe that. But, you know, it don't take but one to start pulling them away and getting them away. And the next thing you know, you know, I was reading an article this week about the state that has the most underage drinking. And you'd think it'd be the big states like New York or California or like that. You know that Alabama's number three. Think about that. Why, well, I saw it for half a beer, is it? Think about that for a minute. It's not all right for them to have a beer because any alcoholic will tell you that if they'd have never drank that first taste of alcohol, they wouldn't be an alcoholic today. Don't trust they can handle it. Don't, and teach them, let me tell you something, teach your children about sex. Teach them the right and wrong about that thing. Oh, they'll learn it. Hey, listen, you don't want them to learn it in this society today like this going around. 
Because, see, anything is okay anymore. And you, don't, you need to teach them the, the sanctity of marriage and, what, and, and the place that sex has in someone's life. And not only that, but teach them if they're born a girl, they'll always be a girl regardless. You know, I was thinking about this this morning. The old saying is, if it walks like a duck and quacks like a duck and acts like a duck, it's a duck. Not necessarily anymore. It could be a zebra. <laughs> teach. In the Scripture in Deuteronomy where it said, Teach. The actual Hebrew word says engrave, imprint it in their heart. Their little storybooks needs to be Bible storybooks. They need to learn the Word of God. They need Christian material and Christian shows and programs to watch. And there's a lot of them out there. You say, well, I don't know. what about cartoons? I don't know if you know it. There's one, that, and I love to watch it. Called Veggie Tales. Watch them. Let your children watch them. It teaches good principles of life, biblical principles. Sure, it's a cucumber and a tomato, but they have a lot of fun. It's fun watching them. There's a whole lot of things. Folks, listen. We need to understand that we don't just need to put our children out there and hope they make it. We didn't want our children to just make it. We want them to succeed. And there's ways that you go about doing that. And that is like it says in Proverbs chapter 22 and verse 6. Train up a child in the way that he should go. And when he's old, he'll not depart from it. That first word train there. So many times we quote that as saying raise. No, don't say raise. It says train. You raise chickens. Raise hogs. You raise cows. All you got to do is give them Food to eat, water, drink, and shelter. It seems like that's how all some people do with their children. Food, clothes, drink, and shelter. Here's your money. Go. But that word says train. That means there's some effort put into it. Some time and effort. Time to sit and listen. Time to engage them in conversation. Time to help them understand that their problems in life matter to you and that you're there for. With more than, well, it'll just work out. You know, that, that's a cop-out, isn't it? It'll be all right. It'll just work out. It's real to them. We need to be real with them and help them understand the Word of God, what the Word of God says about these things. Train up a child. Put time, put effort into their life. Y'all still love me? Then darkness came. Moses prayed. All this stuff got put away. And then God said, here's another one. Darkness. And it was so dark that they could not even get up and move around for three days. I, I picture it this way. And this, this might not have been the way it was. They couldn't even get a fire to burn. It was that dark. I mean, there just was no no light whatsoever. So finally, Pharaoh says, send for Moses. And here comes the force of compromise. 
in chapter 10, verse 23, they did not see one another, nor did anyone rise from his place for three days, but all the children of Israel had light in their dwellings. See, here, here's something else too. God will take care of us if we'll trust Him. Then Pharaoh called to Moses and said, Go serve the Lord. Only let your flocks and your herds be kept back. Let your little ones also go with you. But Moses said, You must give us sacrifices and burnt offerings that we may sacrifice to the Lord our God. Our livestock also shall go with us. Not a hoof shall be left behind, for we must take some of them to serve the Lord our God. And even we do not know what we must serve the Lord until we arrive. Pharaoh hardened his heart and wouldn't let him go. Compromise. Number four is, well, go all out, take your family, but you better be careful because all they're going to want is your money. That's what this represented. All about you. You remember we read over in Deuteronomy 6 where he said that we're to love the Lord with all our heart, soul, mind, all our heart and soul and strength. That's recorded again in Mark chapter 12. And in Mark chapter 12, verse 29 and 30, it says, Jesus answered him, The first of all the commandments is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Sound like come to Deuteronomy, didn't it? Next verse. <laughs> and you shall love, I'll just give it to you. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart. That's verse 30. All your soul all your mind, and all your strength. What does that mean? The word strength there means everything about us. All of our resources. Everything. If you've got a truck, serve the Lord with your truck. It's your house. Love the Lord with your house. Love the Lord with everything you have. Commit it to Him. That's what he's talking about there. But Satan says, you need to be careful about that now because, you know, after all, if you go to giving in that offering, you may not have enough money to buy you a Mountain Dew this, with this week. Folks, I'm going to tell you, one of the hardest things to get saved in the body of Christ is money. <laughs> you get your family saved, you can get your dog saved, you get all your stuff saved, it's hard to get that money saved. And you say, well, why is it so important? Because, listen, how much do we love God today? Do we love God enough to trust Him with our finances? God has a financial plan and a way that we need to be involved in. But let me tell you, it's not an overnight get-rich scheme. It's not, if you give $100 today, God's going to give you $10,000 next week. That's not what we're talking about. But what it's talking about is this. If we'll get involved in God's financial arrangement, which is tithes and offerings, and giving Him all of ourself, all of our resources, all about us, that don't mean that you've got to take out the title of your automobile and sign it over to the church. That's not what it's talking about. But it's just simply saying, God, I want to use my automobile for Your glory. I want to use my house for Your glory. I want to use whatever I've got for Your glory. Everything about me. For your glory. I heard a fellow say one time that, that uh, he got a hold of that, and so he gave the Lord his car. He said, God, I'll give him a car. And said he was driving down the road one day, and the car tore up on him. 
and said he sat there for a minute, and he happened to remember the fact that he gave God that car. He, and he said, God, your car is tore up. You, you need to fix it. It's up to you. said he got out. Somebody pulled up and, and said to him, you know, I, I just felt like you were having trouble. I needed to stop. He said, yeah. He said, My, the car's tore up. And he said, well, let's look at it. Phil looked at it, put a wire back in place, and got in his automobile and went on. And he said, said he said to the Lord, said, thank you, Jesus. This because they put the coil wire back on. You know, older automobiles had a coil wire. And that coil wire come loose sometimes. I don't know if you ever had one old enough that it jumped off. I have. <laughs> and it wasn't it was old in years. It was just so used. So if we give God our stuff, we're not going to sit around and say, okay, God, your washing machine's tore up. Refrigerator quit working. But what I'm saying is this. When we commit ourselves totally to God, heart, soul, mind, and strength, everything about us, folks, God will take care of us. Now, that don't mean something's not going to wear out, but God will make a way. Right? That don't mean something's not going to tear up, but God will make a way. That don't mean that your body may get weak, but God will make a way. That don't mean that, that your finances may get low, but God will make a way. But we've got to come to the point to trust Him. And I'm going to tell you, this economy, I was reading an article this morning. Uh, Dave Ramsey, who, who is a Christian financial expert, said, Beware of Bloody Sunday. You know what Bloody Sunday is, don't you? Today is Bloody Sunday because today is the day that Mr. President has appropriated to forgive all of these billions of dollars of student loans. You say, Well, isn't that good? Uh, It's going to affect this economy worse than you can imagine. The housing market is bubbling up to bust. And folks, I'm telling you, things are not as spiffy as the president would like everybody to be, to think. Can I tell you this? Bidenomics is not working. Bidenomics is not biblical. And we don't need to be involved in that. We, we need to that and all of this other stuff. We need to just say to the government, hey, I'm not participating. I'm going to trust God and believe God and believe God's going to make a way for me. Devil, I want you to know that no longer am I going to be a closet Christian. I'm coming out and people are going to understand that I'm a child of God. And I'm committing myself fully to Him to walk with Him, to be before Him, to honor Him, to love Him, to show Him my life and let people see that in me. And I'm going to take my family with me too, devil, you hear? And those that looks like you've got a hand on, I'm taking them back from you right now in the name of Jesus. You're not going to destroy my family. You're not going to destroy my children. You're not going to destroy my wife, my husband. You're not going to destroy my parents. I'm telling you, Satan, your game is over with because we're not just going to throw in the towel. We're throwing in everything we've got because it's all or nothing for us. That's what he's saying. One other thing. When that didn't work, 
The darkness left. Pharaoh said, you're not going. So God told Moses, here, something else is going to happen, and he'll let you go. And he said, not only that, you'll go out of here rich when you go. You'll go out of here blessed. God instituted what we call the Passover. And he told them, take that lamb and kill it and put the blood on the doorpost of their house. And he said, because on this night, the death angel is going to pass through the land of Egypt. And I'm going to kill all the firstborn. You say, Fred, I don't like this God you're talking about. Hey, let me tell you something. God was taking care of His precious people. Those unbelievers that would not turn their heart to Him were the ones that were suffering. You say, that don't sound fair. I thought God's a God of love. God is a God of love. If He didn't, we wouldn't be here today. He's also a God of justice. God hates sin. That night, all the children of Israel had blood on their doorpost, and the death angel passed through. And there began to be a wailing in the land because people were finding that firstborn child, that firstborn son, dead all through the land of Egypt. Not only in the people, but in the livestock as well. All of them died. And Pharaoh sent for Moses one last time. And he said this to him. He said, you go. You take your children. Take your livestock. Take everything you have. And go. Go. Folks, I'm telling you today, don't throw in the towel. Satan might be ready to throw in the towel. But if you'll stand firm, God will lead you out of the situation that you're in, whatever it may be. However dark, gloomy, and despair it may seem, God will lead you out of that. If you just trust Him, don't compromise. Don't compromise. Y'all bow your heads with me. Father, how we thank You this morning for Your Word and for a group of people that's willing to listen and to receive Your Word into their heart. And Father, we pray today that the Holy Spirit come and rest upon each one, supplying that that each one so desperately needs. Oh, Jesus, I just ask you right now, minister to the people that are here and those that may be watching, Father, that your grace may be upon them. And I pray, Father, you help us today not to compromise, but to stand bold and to stand firm in your word and in your grace. And we thank you for it. Now, while our heads are still bowed, I want to challenge you. In a moment, we're going to stand. Music's going to begin to play. And I want you to begin even now to ask the Holy Spirit what you need to take away from this message this morning and what you need to do about it. You may need to come and pray. You may need to pray right where you're at, but, you know, come and don't, don't, if you feel like you need to come and pray, don't compromise and lose out on the blessing God has for you. But ask the Holy Spirit, what do you need to take away from this today? In Jesus' name, let's stand together.